if people in these um, communities have a crush, a platonic crush, they call it a squish. Oh my gosh. Yeah, very that's so endearing. It's squishy, squishy. But if um, queer platonic partnerships are called zucchinis, because that's a squash. Oh, ha, ha, squish ha, ha, and squash. Ha. Very, very cute. <laughs> right. Today's topic is queer platonic relationships and, oh my gosh, there is so much to talk about. <laughs> there always is, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, always, always. <laughs> so I guess the first things first, first thing first is why do romantic relationships often take priority over non-romantic relationships in our society? That's a really good question and a lot of people at the moment are writing about it and thinking about it as it, it, the number of people living alone is increasing every year. So people are thinking about it but I think our old friends patriarchy and capitalism are kind of behind this prioritising of uh, romantic relationships. So when you think about it, back in the day when humans were nomadic and wandering around the savannah, um, we, we worked as groups and we operated as groups. So people didn't really have uh, romantic relationships per se. Um, this is uh, research. I, I wasn't there. I can't tell you. Um, but, you know, when children were born, the tribe looked after the kids, but the tribe looked after everyone. So it was a group sort of mentality. But then we started settling and getting farms and animals and suddenly folks were more interested in the parents of the children, the fathers, because they wanted to pass land down and things were sort of changing, right, where things became uneven and men were valued more highly than other people and then women weren't valued unless they were partnered with a man and the emphasis on relationship grew. So some of the relationships were formed uh Form, that were formed were like financial relationships or political. And when you think about the history of marriage, when it became an institution, it was very much the case. People were making uh, relationships because they were merging families or they were like, this is a good idea, we need to do this to survive. Romantic love matches haven't been around that long. Um, and again, when you think about it, it takes a whole tribe to bring up a child. When that was happening, most people only lived till they were 35, so you kind of really needed to do that. But these days, we're wanting our partner to be the entire village, and we're living into our 90s. It's a big ask, but it's kind of being pushed by capitalism, which gears things towards cishet monogamous relationships. It values women more when they're attached to men, and men when they're the primary earners, right? So, and this is kind of dovetail. Capitalism dovetails very nicely into patriarchy. So there's always a push towards these kind of relationships you know things that I call like the relationship escalator you know when people ask you you, you see your family and like where are you getting a girlfriend yeah, or a boyfriend yeah whereabouts are you on the, on the escalator yeah when are you getting married when are you having babies when are you buying a house all that sort of stuff it's kind of like push 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 towards the start of relating isn't it a hundred percent and I think that there's just this immense pressure associated with it and if there's like a, a deviation from I guess these standardized forms of giving and receiving care then it really starts to make a, an equal pressure of confusion in some people's minds being like how do I how do I categorize this what mm. what actually is this so I guess in that vein what exactly are queer platonic relationships or romantic friendships they're like non-sexual passionate friendships or are there other terms that we can use to describe these types of relationships? Good question. Um, there is a term queer platonic that has a different context and meaning to platonic 
right? So it's uh, it's been associated with the aromantic community, even though anyone I think can engage with queer platonic relationships. And, and sort of when I was diving around, going, "Hey, where did this come from?" Uh, it's only been around since 2010. That that saying, I was oh, quite that's surprised. So recent. Yeah, because I, I think that term, but I think what people are doing has been around for a long time. So um, queer platonic relationships can get shortened to QPR. Uh, there's also queer platonic partnerships, QPP. Um, they're sort of committed, intimate relationships that aren't romantic in nature, right? So they might differ from a usual close friendship by having a more explicit commitment, uh, some sort of validation, a status, a structure. Uh, it's similar to a conventional romantic relationship, but I think they involve over a friendship, they involve a deeper and more profound emotional connection than a typical friendship, right? So they're not romantic or sexual, but they have a strong emotional bond that's uh, a stronger emotional bond that's than a typical friendship, I guess. Uh, I think I was looking at some academics who were writing about it saying um, it's a, a platonic relationship that is queered in some way, not friends, not romantic partners, but something else. It's like a middle ground, a yeah, third ground. I, I just love this because it's not binary. Everything yeah. in this world tends, tends to be binary. It's this or it's that. It's Definitely. This or it's that. Language kind of gears it towards that a bit as well. Yeah. And if you look in the asexual and aromantic spaces, um, uh, I kind of there's a little cute little joke there because if um, if people in these um, communities have a crush a platonic crush they call it a squish. Oh my gosh! Yeah, very that's cute. so endearing. It's squishy, squishy. But if um, <laughs> queer platonic partnerships are called zucchinis because that's a squash. Oh, ha, squish ha, and ha, squash. Ha. Very, very cute. <laughs> right. It's very cute. Oh, so but awesome. I think queer platonic relationships they kind of they're, they're kind of bucking erotic erotonormativity. You know, where mm. if you're engaged with somebody sexually or erotic then you have a relationship and then that somehow gets prioritised over everything else. I think, you know, when people have been writing about queer feminism and relationship anarchy, they're kind of pushing the idea that you can have all kinds of relationships. They don't have to be sexual or romantic to be important it, or prioritised. It's kind of scary the way that it's so radical to just share your love more liberally and in just ways that are you know, unconventional, because to me it's like we don't even, as humans, have this clear-cut conception of love. So why yeah. is it that we have this clear-cut conception of how we need to share our love? And our time. When yeah. you think about it, people prioritise their romantic relationships and their families over other friendships that mm. they have. And there are a lot of single folks out there that feel very sad. That this, Most single folks, especially when I'm seeing my clients, they feel saddest on a Sunday, which is family day. Mm. Uh, and they're like, why aren't my friends with families inviting me or this or that? And I'm I'm like, yeah, why not, actually? Because, you know, love is love. You can love a great many people. The only time constra the only constraints we have on love is time yep. and how we spend our time. But you can love many. You know? And I think it's important because in order to have, like, the most wholesome and enriching experience of love in your life, you need to have a diverse approach to the way that you give and receive love. So if you put all of your love into one person, it's just no matter how much you love that person or no matter how much they love you, that's never going to be the most balanced approach to No, I think about the responsibility. If one person is responsible for meeting all your needs, that's a lot of pressure. That's too much pressure. That's almost like, you know, <laughs> it's kind of like leading towards like paths of like destruction to put that much pressure onto a person and disappointment yeah. yeah so you think about it you know you've got lots of friends that maybe maybe your partner doesn't play tennis but you go play tennis with your friends and you love it or maybe your partner isn't into dungeons and dragons but you go do that once a week and you love it i think we need to sort of spread out the 
burden, and I'm putting my inverted commas fingers up, uh, of loving us or getting our needs met because lots of different folk can meet lots of different needs, you know. And I have a team of beloveds that uh, meet my emotional needs and support me, and I adore all of them, and I'm so very, very grateful for them in my life. So queer is in the name of queer platonic, but do people in queer platonic relationships necessarily have to identify as LGBTQ+. Um, no, I don't think a person... I mean, we, we talked about this term sort of originated in the asexual, aromantic communities, but I don't think that you have to identify as asexual, aromantic, genderqueer, gay, or any other level to be in a queer platonic relationship, even though that's where it kind of started. I always think the marginalised, you know, the mainstream need to talk to the marginalised more often to understand what's going on and look at a bit more equality. So QPRs are seen as having a different level of emotional closeness and attraction. Um, Some of the queer platonic relationships might resemble a traditional definition of friendship, while others might seem more romantic. You know, I think, and, and as we poke around in this, there's so many different ways of having queer platonic relationships or partnerships that, you know, we're not going to try and stuff it into a box because that's where we all seem to come undone. What is the history, actually, of these types of relationships? Because you said that the term itself only emerged around, like, just under 15 years ago, but obviously there's so much more history behind these types of uh, relations. I think so too. I mean, we were talking earlier that, you know, when marriages began, they were more like financial or political arrangements. Um, And then somehow they turned into romantic relationships. I'm not quite sure how that tilted. Um, but it's it's kind of like putting all your eggs in one basket, one relationship. And as we were saying, that's a little dangerous. So uh, I think the term started as a bit of a joke in the aromantic, asexual communities in the early 2000s and coming into 2010. But because there was no appropriate term for describing significant and intimate relationships and a love that aren't romantic or sexual, right? So the terminology around it, I think the first documentation was in 2010, um, there's a, a, on, online threads about it uh, and I think all of a sudden in 2011 it rolled around and quickly gained uh, a lot of popularity in the online world about describing how they were relating and what they were doing. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah, no, there's like, I always like I'm fascinated about the the way in which like these relationship structures are always just embedded within like society and it's just like when we start to look at things a little bit differently we often just end up revisiting yeah structures you see sorts of things there. i mean I've, I've i can't remember the name of the author uh, i've got her name down here somewhere oh yeah uh, mary eleanor wilkins freeman big name she <laughs> wrote a story called two friends and it it eroticizes a, a sort of sapphic relationship but there's a thing called a boston marriage you know where two women live together and uh, they they have this nice domestic arrangement. They're very much emotional and financial supports to each other. Um, and it doesn't have to be sexual, right? So the, it's been around. It's been around for a long time. Just not really obvious because people can't understand it and it's, tend to not like what they can't understand. Yeah, 100%. So how do they actually differ from traditional close friendships? Ah, So I think some are very devoted to their connection and they can show commitments to things like life planning, things that uh, might be different from romantic relationships, but they fit in. So uh, you can put your queer platonic partner down as next of kin. You could take them to as your plus one to events. You could be financially entwined, decide to buy a house together, decide to share your super. There's as many ways of, of putting things above a friendship level or 
into a more intimate way. I mean, yeah. you can have lots of lots of close friends, but maybe you're not going to be financially involved with everyone. You know, I've got some lovely close friends that I could never live with, for example. Uh, I've got other people that uh, probably wouldn't let me be financially financially involved with them. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of uh, limitations. But when we trust somebody and we can see a good partnership there, why ever not do that? Yeah. So it, it's about like an increased level of trust and commitment that you wouldn't usually get in, in a friendship. Yeah. And there's like these expectations that you kind of agree upon with each other, which you might not usually do with a, just a friend. It's funny. It's the romantic expectations, aren't they? Like yeah. we, we expect our romantic relationships to have some kind of financial thing or emotional support or domestic thing or child rearing thing. Mm. So we've, we're in this like limbo zone between friendship and romance. There's this whole other area there that people can exist in and do very well. And one last question before we take a break, but how do they actually then differ from romantic relationships in like an explicit way? Yeah, okay. So it's important to note that the expectations in queer platonic relationships, they're not the same as the heteronormative uh, monogamous relationships that we have out in community. Um, People experience different models of partnerships and connections in QPRs. They break the rules and they bend the norms to make their relationships work for them. This is, you know, anything that's subversive I'm always excited by. So I think that this kind of subverts the way that we're being pushed onto that relationship escalator. So they can be uh, committed long-term monogamous relationships for some, or they can be poly if it works for people. Again, you know, we'll, we'll get into it after the break about how people can do it and what's involved. But it's 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 just a little bit outside the norms. Not friendship, not romantic. If you think about that, but think about all of the ways that people can connect and commit. I think it's about commitment as well to each other. So it's kind of like a creative space for commitment in terms of <laughs> yeah, commitment and connection. Yeah, it is. And looking after each other and caring. Which is the best part of the human experience. It's so cool to care. <laughs> You're listening to FBI Radio 94.5 with me, Deb Marcus, here on Let's Talk About Sex, joined by the lovely Tanya Coons. Today we are talking about queer platonic relationships and what they can look like, how they can form, and what it means to even be in one. So, Tanya, how is it that queer platonic relationships can be structured in terms of what are the different ways that they can manifest and like the forms that they can have in terms of practicality? Uh, Really good question. Um, It's kind of like a smorgasbord, this. You can structure it any way you want to. So I like this because it's kind of a little bit supporting the relationship anarchy model where, you know, you interact with people the way as you find them and how you see fit. So the beauty of queer platonic relationships is they're subverting traditional relationships with all of those expectations. When are you getting married? Are you buying a house? Are you having babies? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? Um, And I do think that people are starting in romantic relationships to structure things differently. But here we can base things on a friendship on domestic arrangements. Maybe people want to raise children together. I see a lot of that happening out in community. Um, People could be monogamous or they could be polyamorous or anything in between. Maybe this is a financial relationship. Maybe this is a medical needs. Uh, Whatever folk want, whatever the folk who want it to be, that's how it can be. You know, I... uh, One of a really good friend who was an elder in queer community passed recently and uh, he had this extraordinary friendship with another friend of mine who wrote a really beautiful piece when he passed about the nature of their relationship and how difficult it was for people to understand 
because uh, there was a big age difference, but the two were delighted in each other and cared for each other, bringing very different skill sets to the relationship. And it was a very beautiful thing for those of us who watched and saw it. But when he got sick and she was supporting him navigate the care, big care complex out there, people really needed to know what relationship she was to him. And the only word that she could find to describe it was kin. Uh, which is a really great word, but it was about, and I think folks in community can understand that where you're sensing and feeling the the kind of person that you're about to deal with or the relationship, and you can understand it without having the words. I think that's really the queering of it, where people are like, oh yeah, I get that that's a, a close relationship and I'm not going to try and push it into any other box that society kind of wants us to. Yeah, because there is like this obsession with discriminatory grids or categories in order for us to navigate the world. But um, something that is beautiful about queerness is just the way that there is an ambiguity that you can reach a level of like comfortability with. It's not this notion of having to define the ambiguous or define the speculative. It's because life itself is ambiguous and, and speculative. So why do our relationships have to kind of have this like fictional aspect to it where we pretend like we know what they are when we might not know exactly what they are other than the fact that they exist and you care about them and it's something that you want in your life. Absolutely. And again, I think we're moving away from binaries. I think the world that we live in tries to force everything into an either or situation and, and queering things and subverting things means no it's not that let's let's move into the blurry zones let's move into the gray areas because it's quite interesting there and a lot of us can care for each other see each other relate to each other in areas outside of that that almost punishing societal structure so it might seem like a little bit of a Obvious question, but I guess no questions are obvious, but can there actually be sex involved in queer platonic relationships? It's a great question. Um, you know, when you think about the word platonic, it actually means not sexual or not romantic. But again, queer platonic relationships are subverting normative relationships. So it's really up to the folk involved to determine that. Some folk might start with a sexual relationship and when the sex ends, they start a platonic or they keep a platonic relationship uh, some folks start a friendship and they can add sex in or not. Again, it's really as varied as the humans that are out there. Knowing that the word and the terminology sort of existed in the asexual, aromantic field, I would suggest that the majority of the ones that we're seeing don't involve sex. But then I don't actually want to make that assumption because yeah. it's really about you do what you do you for everybody involved in these sorts of things. And what are some of the... I guess typical is the wrong word, but what are some likely challenges maybe faced by people in queer platonic relationships? Um, I think really, well, they, what are the agreements of the relationship? Because sometimes folk find themselves, they've kind of morphed into this thing and they're like, hey, what we're doing here is more than friends but not romantic. What, what, what is this? So what are their, agreement, their agreements? What's the importance of the relationship? Um, how important is it to us? And then other people, like I think a lot of people don't take this kind of relationship seriously, particularly family members. So this kind of thing could affect people's will and testament, like ch families could challenge where people leave their money, their house, their property, that sort of thing, um, and not recognising the importance of the folks in the relationship. So again, we prioritise romantic connections over anything else, which I find really interesting. But And that 
that can kind of dispute the strength of the validity of the queer platonic partner or relationships that are going. So I think we need to open our eyes a little and see how important people are for each other, who's supporting who, how we support and celebrate those relationships. Yeah, there definitely isn't a lot of visibility for these kinds of relationships. So how common do you think that they are? And do you think that many of these relationships work? Um, Or do you see many of these relationships in your work? I do. Actually, I see quite a few relationships that seem to have morphed into um, QPRs. So they started as romantic or sexual, uh, particularly in the gay men community. So they've, they might have started very romantic. Then they've opened up their relationships sexually and stopped having sex between themselves. But they've, they remain very much committed life partners in all other areas. Does this count as a QPR? I'm not sure, but it seems to meet all the criteria that we've mentioned above, right? So I do see this. Uh, It's interesting because when I meet uh, cis-het normative monogamous relationship people who are like, oh, maybe, maybe we can have a relationship without sex, those kind of relationships seem a lot harder to maintain and I'm curious now even as we're speaking this that um, maybe because there's so much societal pressure for them to have sex and that sex is kind of glued as the mortar between the bricks in those kind of relationships maybe it's just even with like perception like the way that we look at one another and like people are trained to if you're like a, a cis man or a cis woman the way that we're trained to to view the other in terms of not like opportunity but just relationality and that can really like bind the way that we can yeah relate to one another i think so but i also think that sex because this is a segment about sex sex is um important for for all of us so if you're in a monogamous relationship and one partner unilaterally shuts down the sex life of the other that might be a little problematic and that might Mm. be difficult then when you've got all of your sex needs and relationship needs in one basket and can't get it met. So I'm very curious, again, does this mean that people have, you know, they can get their sexual needs met elsewhere? Is that what the queer platonic is? Uh, Can people morph to that if they're in a monogamous relationship and they've been previously monogamous sexually and romantically? Can Can you open that up? I don't know. These are some interesting questions for people to kind of consider as their relationships might be changing. So if this is something that I'm interested in, uh, queer platonic relationality and relationships, how do I go about beginning a relationship of this type? And what are some things that I need to talk about with potential partners? Uh, I always like the talking about parts of things because I think there's a lot of assumption out there and when we're assuming we might not be on the same page as other people or the folks around us. So if you think you are in a queer platonic relationship or you'd like to do something, uh, to acknowledge something with a friend or a, a person that's important to you, discuss the level of commitment to each other. How committed are we and in what ways? Are we sexually exclusive? Are there other queer platonic partnerships? Do we have plans for the future? Like, do we think about the other person when we're making plans? That's a big one. And I think that's when people are prioritizing romantic relationships. They're, they're always planning for their partner in the future. Are we joining our finances or not? Uh, do we want to raise children together or not? Uh, how are we going to discuss this with our friends and family? And I have a little anecdote for that one in a sec. Um, what is our relationship and what does it cover? I think... We might lot, lots and lots of folks start out not with the intention of starting a queer platonic relationship, but then they're like, "Hey, I've got this situationship here, and it's pretty interesting. Uh, 
Whereas other folks might be hearing this and going, you know what, this is a really great idea. I think that this would really work for me and take some of the pressure off that we're having from the society that sort of has all these patriarchal and capitalism ideas pushed at us. So it's an intentional style of connection, I think. Uh, and if you look at folks in the asexual and aromantic communities, they're across this. They know it. They're like, yes, this is what I seek and this is what I want to do. So I suspect we're going to see more of these relationships becoming visible as folk become less interested in marriage and many folks are kind of working to dismant dismantle the frameworks of patriarchy and capitalism. So we're going to be poking around and trying to work out how can we subvert all of those things. It's really exciting territory because there's always, yeah, room to make more room for difference and diversity. I just, yeah, I love the, the creativity of it. I know that um, I've mentioned it before, but you said that there was a, like a, a story with uh, like an experience that you had with a, a queer platonic relationship. Yeah, my, um, this is how we started. We were chatting to Tanya, the producer, about this last week, and I was chatting about my bestie, right? So it's a particular interest to me because my bestie and I plan to retire together. We are family. We talk about medical and financial things together. The folk who date us know that we have a significant relationship with each other and that we invest in and prioritise that relationship. And so many people don't quite understand how that works. And I was at a school reunion on the weekend and I was grilled about the human who appears in many of my social media images, right, which is my bestie. We do a lot of stuff together. We lock down together. We are excellent at having fun. And so people see that. But people couldn't quite get their heads around it. They were like, so is that your partner? Are you married? Uh, are, you know, uh, Do you have sex? All these questions. And I was like, well, it's kind of a queer platonic relationship. And they're like, what's that? What does it mean? How is that? And absolutely grilled with questions because people couldn't fit it into the boxes that they normally associate with romantic or um, marriage type relationships or friendships because it really it sort of hovers in between those two relationships I think that's the beauty of it though is is that space that it allows yeah. for for that um, I guess intimacy to flourish in in a new way that's completely organic and it's not bound by patterns which have been like served to you on some strange platter being like this is the way things are meant to be this is the way you're meant to care about someone in your life but oh that's so wholesome to like have retirement <laughs> plans with your bestie like I just yeah. gosh that's making me visualize like different ways to to relate as well to the people in my life that's right and that kind of thing can fold in so it doesn't have to be just us it can fold in each of our parents if we need to partners that we may or may not have all this sort of stuff can be folded in it it's not it doesn't exclude other things. I think that's what's even better about it. It's like, okay, how are we going to be running our lives? Who's going to be in our lives? How do we fold all of that in? How do we prioritise each other and what's going on for each other in that world? 